Remember the fall? Do you remember at all? In the middle of a garden. Or, or was, was it all forgotten? forgotten? Let's take you back, back to where it all started. Back it up to Genesis, back it up to the garden. After flesh of my flesh, after bone of my bone, after being with the one who, who sits, sits on, on the, the throne. throne. After, and it was very good, after knowing no shame, after assigning all animals and creatures by name. We chose the deceit, tried to blame it on Eve, turned our back on what was good and lost everything. Traded our identity for a tainted perspective. Pretty, Pretty soon we, we couldn't, couldn't recognize our own reflection no need to run no need for disguise put down your fig leaves stop, stop trying, trying to hide and when he asks you where are you he just wants you to be honest let go and let God rest instead in his promise I mean they had every tree in the garden except every they decided one. to tree. eat from the one, one tree <laughs> like they could have at least said thank, thank you, you. Love. Your love is radical, it doesn't make sense, maybe because in this world is full of emptiness. The world screams that love is just a feeling, but through my life you have shown me that your love is everlasting. Loyalty. Like the wave, you always come back, relentless, unafraid of my aftermath. You crown me in jewels, you call me royal. You're always there for me, you're loyal. Lessons, grace and truth. Your mercies are new every morning. You're the wisest one I know, correcting me as if I was your own. And I am. You created me for greatness, and when I stray from it, you remind me of truth, gracefully. Love, loyalty, lessons. Your love is unconditional, it's never wavering. A light in the darkness, you love me through the hardest holding nothing back, your love. Loyalty, though I'm not faithful, you save the seat for me at your table. Your correction reminds me of your love and perfection. Now you, you are called, and you are worthy of the calling you have received. You, you are, are set, set apart, apart, whole, redeemed. redeemed. So the next time the devil looks you in your eyes and tries to steal your identity, replace it with lies, I need you to remember these lines. I am the true vine and my father the gardener, cutting off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch in me that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you, you remain, remain in me and, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you, you can, can do, do nothing. That's John 15. Beloved, be free. Beloved, be free. <laughs> Beloved, be free. 
He never told me. So we will run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened our understanding. We are free to run, free to run, free to run, free to free to free to run, free to run, free to run, free, free, free to run. I want to thank Xavier and the team for doing my first point of the message today. Um, as we were discussing that in class a couple weeks ago, we were talking about chapel and it's like, why don't you preach, Xavier? And it's like, she said, okay. So there you had it, man. That was so good. Good days, man. I just told him, it's like, we got to get you guys like to, to be up with uh, um, Andy Minio, if that's okay with the Fusion team. It's like... That was good. I want to throw a little shout out to uh, Lily and the crew, wherever you're sitting at. All right, just making sure you're in chapel today. Let's tell your mom and dad what's up. All right, they wanted me to double check, make sure you're not getting too many skips. All right. You, you okay? You have, a, you, you have any leftover? How about like swipes at Baldwin? You have any leftover for Uncle Charlie? <laughs> just a couple? I love chapel because I love the opportunity for us to be here in the midst of God's presence. I mean, that's what's so beautiful about these moments every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. In fact, the whole um, epicenter of this university is about people gathering together in the name of Jesus Christ. And what better moments than when we can gather like this and, and take time. And it's like, it doesn't matter what else is going on right now. Nothing matters at Indiana Wesleyan University except for this right here, right now. It's the only thing that matters this moment is that we stop and we gather and we focus on Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that matters. That's why I love it so much. I get to sit over here. I sit over here a lot of times with J-Mac on the side, just hanging out there, making sure he's not taking notes on his phone or doing something else. But you're faithful every time, J-Mac. You're always listening. You don't skip. You take good notes. All right, so really proud of that. Benny up there, I, I've been watching Benny up there, making sure you're making your kicks, taking notes, <laughs> good days. Do you know we have the best kicker in the entire conference? All right, <laughs> Benny up here. Dude, today he's wearing an Adam Benny Benateri jersey, all right? It's like, because I'm gonna tell you, when Adam retires, the next kicker for the Indianapolis Colts will be Benny. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know if you know who Benny is or not, but you should get to know him. He's the best kicker in the conference. But as we dig into this, what happened um, when we talked about like the spoken word piece is in the context of where we're at when it comes to these commands. As Dr. Elaine Bernie has set us up so well for what we're talking about because these commandments aren't these things that are restrictive in any nature. They're, they're meant to free us. That's what's so beautiful about these commands and it just so happened that mine happened to be the shortest one of them all. Do not steal, all right? That's the command that I have. In fact, you'll see that's all it says there. I mean, I'm taking a look at it right now, Exodus 20 verse 15, do not steal. But it's like you can't take a look at that in such an adolescent Vain. We have to take a look at the context of what's happening in Scripture. In fact, what they were talking about in the spoken word out of John 15. In fact, if you keep on going, because they started to go through one, two, three, four, five. If you go to John 15, 15, it says this. 
I no longer consider you a servant because a servant doesn't know the master's business. Therefore, I call you friends. Everything that the Father has revealed to me or made known to me, I make known to you. This is epic because what he is doing is showing us a new reality of relationship. I don't consider you a servant because a servant doesn't understand. I don't look at you like the same way that you look at yourself or the way we've looked at each other for this entire scope of the planet Earth to that point. As if our job is just to do what he tells us, as if we don't have this relational equity that's involved in it. That's what's so critical about all the commands. Every person that stands up here and talks to you about these is trying to help you see that if you engage in the relationship with Jesus Christ, if, if you engage in this thing and you see it as a partnership, as a relationship, yes, God is our authority. Yes, he is our master. Yes, we love him and understand who he is, but yet we have responsibility in it. The relationship will draw you deeper. It won't be something you just do because you have to do it because you were told to do it. It'll be something that you want to be a part of because you see the value in it and that you trust his voice. When it says, I don't consider you a servant because a servant doesn't know the master's business, therefore, he literally is helping us understand the value of the relationship is not him saying, Mason, I see you. Mason, my son. You, my son. How dare you? I mean, that's the way my vision and, and experience of God was growing up so much. It was like I was, and I'll be honest with you, I was a scared, all right, in church, not afraid. I mean, that's normal people. As a little kid, I was a scared because I thought that's God's voice was always like, what did I do wrong? Why am I not measuring up? What's wrong with me? As if he's like on the edge of the stage just pointing that finger, looking at me. And it's like, I got to come to church and I got willing to repent because I know I messed up. I mean, that's my relationship with God. And yet what these ladies talked about opens the door to understanding that he doesn't see us like that. He sees us like this. I don't consider you a servant. I want to I be connected to you. You can't ascend up to my level, but I can definitely come down and relate to you. And now the door is open for the relationship. That is the beauty of that spoken word. And that's what's so important about where we're going within the context of scripture. You see, in all the classes that you take, all those Theo 101 classes, that New Testament, that Old Testament, all this blends together to help us to understand one thing. There is this constant voice throughout scripture from these commandments to the verse in John 15 that they talked about the fall of humanity and God like redeeming humanity back to himself is this constant voice of redemption and renewal. In fact, what happens to a body when renewal takes place? What happens to a group of people when we recognize that we can actually have this relationship with Jesus Christ? That it literally can work. I can lean in. I had a, an experience of that just this semester. This semester alone... There was a moment that for me, this was reawakened. Um, I was actually talking to J-Mac about something after chapel about a month ago. He said, hey, uh, something happened this weekend in a conversation with one of my friends, Darion. And it's like, uh, he wants to be baptized. 
So it's like on one of the nice cold days that we're having, I think it was a solid 48 degrees, right? After practice, we got out one of those big tubs from the, you know, the locker room, one of those big ones, and, and was filling it full of water. And J-Mac would go get the hot water and fill up this big tub. By the time he filled it up, it got cold again. It's like I think I was breaking the ice on the tub, <laughs> getting ready. And all of a sudden, after football practice one day, just a month ago, I got to experience again what happens when somebody actually believes what we're talking about. In fact, take a look at this picture. This is Darion. This is hanging out after practice, after we prayed, after we baptized him, and after he comes out of the water. And what happened in that moment, and I know it's not the greatest picture ever, but you can see his face. You can see J-Mac there. Um, you can see people in the back screaming. That, that is death to life. That is, that is being redeemed back to God. Because when that happens within the, the body, within this context, it, it changes some of our DNA. It kind of changes some of our vibe. It kind of invigorates the body of Christ when people are consistently recognizing that they can actually trust in everything that we're talking about. Can you trust in everything you've been hearing in chapel or in class? Does it matter enough? In fact, I'll say this to you. I've said this before. I say it in class all the time. But the extraordinary things that we desire, the things that we want so bad, the things that matter to us, the things we dream of, the extraordinary begin with everyday, ordinary acts of obedience. And what you've been hearing about these commands are regular, ordinary acts that if you will embrace them and trust the source of them, then you can have that extraordinary. And the extraordinary isn't just revealed in what the news says or how it's reported, but that's extraordinary. In my book, that's extraordinary. People celebrating, people screaming, people cheering. I cheered more for that than any touchdown that the team had all season. That's extraordinary. That's what we've been talking about every Monday in chapel, every Wednesday in chapel every Friday in chapel, at the well, every time we gather together in classes, is that you can have the extraordinary because you were created for the extraordinary. God, in his infinite wisdom, crafted you in a way to be able to express his love and his fullness in a dying, sick world. And that's extraordinary. What these ladies did on stage is extraordinary. What worship was doing was extraordinary. The fact that you're leaning in on a Monday and it's 1030 is extraordinary. This is extraordinary. When we commit to the everyday, ordinary, committed moments, obedient time, love and respect for our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we dig into what it means not to steal, we can't take it in this elementary level. We have to understand that there's so much more. If I were going back and you guys were all in middle school, no, 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 let's go back fifth grade. No, no, let's go back to kindergarten. If this was all a bunch of kindergarten bros, okay? And by the way, bros in Greek means brethren and sisterin. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I can say that to everybody, all right? That's actually biblically accurate, okay? 
I would start out by like, who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? And it's like, John, who, me? Couldn't be. Then who? And then John would point to Kevin. And we start going, who stole the cookie? And it's like, we talk about stealing. That'd be really sweet if you're in middle school. I'd love that if you were in fifth grade. If you're in element, no. If you're kindergarten, that would be about perfect. We loving that. Then I'd get a big old cookie jar and pass the cookie jar around and everybody grab a cookie. And then I'd go back in the Bible, it says, do not steal. And you'd be like, good. Now everyone get a cookie, sit in a circle, and let's do this. But that's not you. There's got to be more to that than this. In fact, if you think about it in context of what everybody else has been preaching in this series, there's more at stake than a cookie out of the cookie jar. Do not steal. I went back and put these down. What do we steal from God himself? Like time, talent, and your voice. Are you stealing from him right now? In this moment, what did you steal this weekend? Did you rob him of that time? Are you stealing that incredible opportunity to use your gift and your talent? And what about your voice? How critically important is it that we as a community represent him biblically? So here's a couple of things I took out of my notes and I'm going to go really fast. Number one is this. You've got to begin to trust Christ with your possessions without knowing what the outcome will be. Number one. Do you trust Christ with what you have without knowing what he will do with it. Do you trust Christ with your gifts and talents without knowing how he's going to use you? Do you trust him with the ordinary without knowing what the extraordinary is? Throughout scripture, we see that lived over and over and over. One of the most popular ones is the feeding of the 5,000 where that little boy gave the fish and the loaves. And you'll notice in scripture, he never asked, what do I get out of it? If I give you my five loaves and my fish, then let's make a deal, Jesus. Let's, let's, let's sign a contract. If, if I give you what I have, if I give you my talent, then you're going to give me something. I'm going to get. And what I've noticed about all of this is every time I see one of these commandments, I go into negotiation realm. I start to think, John, it's like, okay, if, if I do this, if I, if I commit to this, I've got to get something for me. Or is that just, you know, the thing that I only do? Nobody else in here does that. In fact, I recognize now in my own life that in the culture I live, I've gotten used to that, making deals with him. Making deals with Jesus to figure things out. I was coming back from L.A. Um, this last weekend, and it was one of those turbulent flights, you know, where you're on and you start to bump, and it's like you get a little bit scared, and they say, hey, we're going to have the... We're going to have the flight attendant take a seat. And when they said take a seat, all of a sudden I put away my like computer and I stopped watching like Netflix and I got my Bible out. Or is that just me? <laughs> I was scared. I mean, because they hit that turbulence and then it's like, if it lasts for like three minutes, I'm cool. 22 minutes later, I timed it. 
bumping, bumping, bumping. Next thing it's like, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for this. If you get me out of this, I pray, God, I'm serious. I'll do a better job. All right. <laughs> Trying to make deals. And yet what he's asking us is this. Don't steal. Don't rob from me what I've given you in my gifts and talents in you, the possessions I've allowed you to have. It's not about what you're going to do with the person next to you. How about a relationship with him? The second thing I notice is this. If we understand not robbing from him or stealing from him our possessions, it also has to do with the way we connect with other people. Simply put, if you're not willing to serve, then you don't understand the relationship and commitment with Christ. In fact, I'll say it like this. If serving is beneath you, then leading will always remain beyond you. If you cannot serve people, if you can't do the simple things by wait for a minute or let somebody go before you or take time, just simple time. I felt this when I was in that plane, bouncing around, reviewing this message. We got on the ground in Houston, way delayed, and now all of a sudden we're just hanging out in this terminal. And it's like, I don't want to be there. I want to be home. And I recognize that even in this moment, as I watch people like making their way, people didn't know where they're going. There's a group of people that were hanging out, didn't know where they're at. They're in a group of people. They're trying to get from one spot to the next. Next thing you know, I revert into youth pastor mode. It's like, hey, I know where your gate is. Why don't you guys just follow me? I'm going there too. And next thing you know, I led this procession through the, the Houston airport to the Indy gate. And, like, and then all of a sudden we realized that our plane had left like 20 minutes ago. So next thing you know, I'm representing like seven people that are trying to get to Indy, just like me, to the gate people to try to get us hotel rooms. And negotiate. It's like, hey, we're all in the same spot. It wasn't a big deal. But if serving people is beneath you, then you'll never use you in the extraordinary ways that you were created to be used. Just simply care about what's in front of you. Don't rob those opportunities. I'll say it like this as well. Don't attempt to do great things for him, but attempt to live for a great God that will use you in the simple, in the ordinary. In fact, I flipped this over and I wrote this down. The primary job of my life as a Christian is simply to do this. Remain in how God feels about me, not how I feel about him. Can we remain in his presence and understanding if he says to us, listen, I don't want you to do these things that will rob my relationship with you and your relationship with me. And that will impact and influence our relationship with other people. Because clearly he desires to use us to say something to a lost and dying world. Clearly he decides to use us to influence people in the simple things. Just like he used Darion to influence a lot of people in a simple act of obedience. Saying I want to be baptized. Clearly he has a way to taking the simple mundane things that we don't think that are a big deal. And making them extraordinary. Clearly. But we must remain and how he sees us and how he feels about us, not our perspective or how we feel about him or even ourselves. 
over and over and over in my life, I've recognized something. Every time I look at me and superimpose how I see me or I see other people, that's a poor reflection. I'm robbing God of his ability in my life to be transformed and to influence others. How does he see you? He sees you like this. Classic Henry Nouwen. All right? Your identity means it's not what you do or what people say about you. It's not about what you have. It's that we belong. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God. Then I wrote this down. Passion for truth has not wavered, but our commitment to deliver the truth sometimes has been hijacked. We have a tendency to focus on the issues that vex us. Our task is to think of the world events through a biblical lens. Be careful not to preach on personal pet peeves. Your preference should never be your platform. The platform belongs to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our platform. And I'll say this to you right now. The band's going to join me. But we have to know this, that what centers us in this crazy world that seems so manipulated at times is the simple, most biblical fact that Jesus Christ is the center and the center always holds. If you want to commit to the commands that you've been hearing about all semester, if you want to have what you've been hearing on Wednesdays and Fridays as well, what is going to center you? Your desire, your ability, or rather the simple, honest understanding that you need him. You need him. You can't do this thing without him. I can't do this thing without him. I go back and I look at the failures of my life and the failures of my life is every time I try to take over and I try to do this and say, you, God, I mean, you've done so much for me. Let me take it now. And then I look back and see those are the points of failure. It's the points where I stop trying so hard to manage it my own and say, I trust you with everything. And even the moments I don't get and the things that don't make any sense to me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to everything. He is the center. And if we keep him focused in the middle, every command that you've been hearing on Mondays will clarify themselves as you live it. You can't sit back and do nothing. If you want to see the word come alive, then you've got to start serving people. You've got to care about people. You've got to try. You've got to recognize that he desires to do something in you that you could never, ever do for yourself. And that's the extraordinary father. I think about chapel. I think about Indiana Wesleyan University. And I pray this. 
God, that we would see the extraordinary. We would see it. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to tell you something. It only takes one minute, one moment. Just a person to say, I choose Jesus Christ in every area of my life for things to change. Our culture could change in a moment. If a person or a group of people say, Jesus, you are the center, and we're going to lean towards the center in everything, your name will be our platform. It can change that fast. The only question is, will it? God, in your name, change it.